It's 11 minutes before the hour. You're listening to Raven Radio, KCAW Sitka. Today is Wednesday, February 21st. I'm Erin Fulton with Raven News. U.S. Senator Lisa Murkowski believes an effort by a Washington state-based conservation group to put Alaskan king salmon on the endangered species list is misguided. The Wild Fish Conservancy filed a petition with NOAA Fisheries in January. Senator Murkowski, in a call with KCAW, says the organization has missed the mark. Murkowski says Alaska's fisheries are under threat from several sources, including environmental pressure from climate change and warming oceans and economic pressure from Russia's oversupply of traditional seafood markets. And there's also ongoing litigation by the Wild Fish Conservancy itself, which sued NOAA Fisheries in 2020 to shut down the commercial troll fishery for kings in southeast Alaska. That tactic has yet to succeed, so Murkowski is not surprised that the Wild Fish Conservancy is trying another. If you're looking to shut down a fisheries, a threat by way of, of a petition with the ESA is certainly a direction to do that. I think we need to make sure that we are well armed with our own science and data about our fisheries, but that takes monitoring, um, which is time, and it takes resources. Murkowski says outside environmental organizations often miss this point. No one has a greater interest in preserving Alaska's wild salmon stocks than Alaskans. Individual fishermen, their families, and the communities they live in all depend on healthy stocks. It is not in their interest to overfish, to overharvest, to see the species um, be negatively impacted. And I think we take great pride in, in how we have approached management. Now, it is not without challenge. We understand that. And there are factors out there that, um, that we're, we're, we're seeing at a rate and a pace that we've not seen before, uh, again, that are associated with, with the environment and climate. But, but we, we don't get near the credit for the way in which we manage our fisheries with, with a view towards, towards true sustainability. And I credit, I credit the people of Alaska for that. The petition to list king salmon in southeast and south-central Alaska is being reviewed by NOAA Fisheries, which is expected to make a decision shortly on whether or not it has merit. In either case, the question could wind up in court, possibly for years. Senator Lisa Murkowski is back in Alaska while the U.S. Senate is in recess this week. Due to bad weather on the East Coast, she wasn't able to leave D.C. in time to make her schedule in Sitka, and it was a lengthy schedule. Just listening to it shed some light on the life of a U.S. senator in a single community in her home state. We had set up meetings with the mayor, the city manager, the school superintendent, the visitors bureau, the Forest Service, um, folks from the tribe, people within the community. I always like to get into the uh, into the schools um, when I'm in a town, and so we were going to visit Mount Edgecombe. I was also going to have an opportunity for a dialogue with the folks at Sitka Sound Science Center on the landslide monitoring update. On top of that, Murkowski said that she had planned meetings with the Coast Guard regarding the home porting of a fast response cutter in Sitka and with the Sitka Community Land Trust. Across the state, Murkowski says housing and workforce are high in the list of priorities for her constituents. Everywhere I go is housing, 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 and then throw in some child care and then more housing. These are our challenges in getting the necessary workforce. And Sitka is, is right up there in terms of housing and child care. As, as one of their community priorities. 
Additionally, Senator Murkowski said she is looking forward to meeting Sitka High School senior Felix Myers, who is one of two Alaskan students selected for this summer's United States Senate Youth Program. The Senate Youth Program is a phenomenal, phenomenal young leaders program. And, and every year we get two exceptional Alaskans that come back and they show them everything. I think they get to go to the White House. They do a big reception. I always visit with the young people when when they are there for the reception. So I will look for Felix. That's awesome. The other student selected for the U.S. Senate Youth Program is Elizabeth Jaja Lee from Juneau. Senator Murkowski returns to Washington when the Senate reconvenes on February 26th. Fisheries surveys are an essential tool for sustainable fisheries management. But in the midst of marine heat waves, surveys of pollock abundance in the Gulf of Alaska made wildly different estimates. As KTOO's Anna Canny reports, a new study shows that those surveys may not fully account for the way fish are responding to climate change. Right about now, pollock are gathering in the Shelikov Strait near Kodiak Island. And soon, scientists will follow them to do their annual winter survey. Fisheries biologist Lauren Rogers with the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration said the goal is to get an estimate of how many pollock are out there in the Gulf of Alaska just before they spawn. And so that timing of when pollock are going to be migrating to the spawning grounds or away from the spawning grounds is then going to be particularly important for that survey. But the timing of pollock spawning is becoming more unreliable as human-caused climate change warms the ocean. That means scientific surveys that are used for fisheries management could become more unreliable, too. Between 2017 and 2019, four surveys of pollock abundance across the Gulf of Alaska showed mysterious, mismatching results. Summer surveys showed near-record low populations, while the winter survey in the Shelikov Strait showed record highs. To understand the mismatch, Rogers and her collaborators worked backwards using surveys of larval pollock. We have the offspring information and then we can go back to what must the parents have been doing in order to put them in the world when they were put in the world. Their findings, published in a paper earlier this month, showed that for years when the Shelikov survey differed, spawning had happened much earlier than normal. In 2017 and in 2019, peak spawning happened more than two weeks earlier. That was likely shaped in part by the marine heat waves that hit the Gulf around that time. Rogers found that those changes in timing explain much of the mismatch with the Shelikov Strait Survey. But, she says, spawning isn't the only thing these surveys need to pay attention to. The warming oceans may be changing fish in all kinds of ways, from altering growth rates to shifting migration patterns and distribution. Recent studies in the Bering Sea, for instance, showed populations of pollock moving further north as sea ice melts. That messed up surveys, too. But Rogers says fisheries managers can try to adjust to these changes when determining their stock assessments and catch limits. We can understand what potential biases might we have, and then we can start to uh, come up with ways of, of accounting for those. It's not just a simple matter of doing the Shelikov survey earlier or moving the Bering Sea surveys north. That's because the effects of climate change will be unpredictable from year to year. Planning for a continual shift is not going to allow us to respond as proactively as we need to. So to keep up, fisheries managers need to consider the latest climate science. It's the only way for them to follow the fish in a rapidly changing ocean. In Juneau, I'm Anna Canny. The Juneau School District is facing a $9.7 million deficit for the next fiscal year. District leaders are considering closing schools to balance the budget, which could also mean laying off principals, counselors, nurses, and other staff. 
As KTOO's Katie Anastas reports, district leaders say the more campuses they close, the fewer teachers they'll have to lay off. The school board and district staff met at Yadat Kahle Juno Douglas High School on Saturday to discuss school closures. Superintendent Frank Hauser said it's one of the few tools they have to close the $9.7 million budget gap. Anything that is not realized in structural savings is coming straight from the very finite levers we have, which is staff. Any school closure would allow the district to lay off duplicate staff, like principals, nurses, and librarians. But those cuts alone wouldn't be enough to balance the budget. Lyle Melkerson, the district's human resources director, estimated how many other layoffs it would take to close the budget gap, depending on how many schools they close. Filling the budget gap after combining just the middle schools would require laying off 60 to 100 people, depending on their positions. But combining middle schools, combining high schools, and closing an elementary school could cut the number of layoffs needed in half. Melkerson said 30 to 50 teachers typically leave the district each year. I believe we can hit those marks with natural attrition by the end of the year, more close to it. District staff said combining the high schools would also help with staffing elective classes. Board President Didi Sorensen supported the idea. She said students already have limited course offerings, which can make it hard to meet graduation requirements. I don't think we have two comprehensive high schools right now. I think we have two high schools that are grossly understaffed. We are relying on uh, online, a whole range of online courses to provide electives to students who should be able to get those electives in an in-person class. Andy Bullock teaches construction and welding at Yadat Kahle Juno Douglas High School. He says it's important for kids to have access to electives like his. It's a fun outlet for them. It allows them to discover things they like to do. They're not just um, doing only academic work all day. They can get up and move around. Um, and then we, you know, a lot of kids that have gone through these classes we've offered, uh, it sparked an interest in them and they have really good jobs. At a school board meeting last week, Teachers Union President Chris Heideman said layoffs would lower the quality of education in the district and push more young people out of Juneau. Layoffs will continually and repeatedly damage this community because the people that are laid off, according to our collective bargaining agreements, are our youngest early career teachers who will leave this town. This town will continue to get older. We will have fewer students to educate and our schools will continue to suffer. The board asked district staff to come up with a plan that would keep both high school buildings in use and from there use as few buildings as possible. The board's next meeting is on Thursday. In Juneau, I'm Katie Anastas. I'm Erin Fulton and this has been Raven News.